I speak about pairing today, I don't just come across as some know-it-all telling people what to do, oh God. But Father, let the spirit of parenting, oh God, let the spirit of, of, of your word, Father, come across in what I'm saying, oh God. Father, in the name of Jesus, help me speak this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, today I thought I'd talk about parents. It's Dedication Sunday. It just makes sense to do so. And uh, I'm definitely not an expert. I left my kid at church on Father's Day. All right? I got home, Father's Day lunch. Where's Jack? Uh, I don't know. See ya. <laughs> Back in the car. All right? So I'm definitely no expert. Uh, and I'm not setting myself up as an expert. I have, I have three adult children now. And they're pretty good. But I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All right? So don't, uh, it, it, it's, I'm not here to try and tell you what to do. I'm definitely not here to condemn. Because I want to tell you, there's not a parent here who doesn't think that they could have done better somehow. Who doesn't have some regret over something they did or they didn't do. Unfortunately, that's one of the things of, of parenting. It's a, it can be a really tough gig at times. One of the things to understand, though, is that God only has children. God does not have grandchildren. And so sometimes our children will make decisions that we are not happy with, that we didn't teach them about, but they've taken on those things. Well, that's their deal with God. We tried to show them as much as we could, but then make their own decisions. God only has children. He doesn't have uh, grandchildren. Each child themselves has to come to a knowledge of God. They have to make their choice. And the story is told of this mum who was a drunk and she just couldn't stop drinking. She just wasn't a good mum and she had two children. One of them became a surgeon, great note, great intelligence and, and, and did very, very well. The other one just became a drunk. And they interviewed both of the kids and they said, well, what happened? She goes, well, my mum was a drunk, and so I just decided I was never going to be a drunk, and I'm not going to do that, and I was going to achieve in something, because I saw in her something I didn't want, and so I changed. And then my, he went to the other one and goes, well, my mum was a drunk, and I saw in her, and I just decided, what's the point? I can never change that. So a lot of times, the decisions that your children make are ones that they make themselves, right? So that's why it's sometimes condemning because we feel like we should have, we could have, and all of those different things. But in the end, our children have to make their own decision. And when they stand before God, they're not going to go, my mum, my dad, or any of those other things. They stand before God themselves. And so we have to try and put in their hands what it is that they will actually make that decision. You know, parenting is a tough gig because if you think about it, you're actually set up right from the beginning for rejection. You're handed this amazing baby who is so completely dependent on you that they, you can, they can't live without you. You have to feed them. You have to clean them. You have to respond to their every cry. You, you, you've never met this person before in your life, yet you're filled with this incredible, overwhelming love and responsibility. The moment they are born, they become your everything. When Jack was born, he was born what they call flat. 
And so immediately the first thing they do is, Mr. Elmendorp, would you be able to press that red button? Uh, and alarms and everything went off. Doctors and nurses and everyone just come running in there. And they did all these different things. Unfortunately, he came in flat. So the first thing they did was give him Narcan, which is what they give uh, heroin addicts who have an overdose. Because somehow the, the, the pethidine had gone into his bloodstream and, and there was all this action and all these different things. And, and I'm crying and, and they go, it's all right, Mr. Elmendorp, he'll be okay. And I go, I'm not crying because he's hurt. I'm crying because I have a son. <laughs> it was so amazing. I don't thought he was this guy. Right? So there was just this love. I, I, we weren't able to touch him because he had to go in this kind of like this machine sort of thing. And, and, and it was horrible. Because I wanted to touch him and I, and I had this pick and, I, and it was late at night that I went to McDonald's drive-thru and I'm showing, showing the drive-thru girl. Like, this is my son. I got a son. Look at this son. I rang up the radio station in Adelaide, right? Bob Francis. I said, Bob, you're not going to believe this. I've got a son. I've got a son. There was something that happened in me the moment that I had my son. You know, uh, it meant so much to me to have this boy. You and Nina got pregnant again. I actually went into a bit of a panic. I thought, how am I going to love this new baby? Right? I love Jack so much. I haven't got any more love. Right? I, Jack is everything to me. I love Jack. I love Jack. Now I've got this other baby. I, I, I'm not going to love Jack any less. I'm, I'm sure I love this other one. But Jack, there's Jack. Right? Let me tell you, the moment, the second, that Rachel was born. Love! And then a third, I didn't have to divide up my love. I didn't have to go, well, I've got a third of love for Jack, a third of my love for, for Rachel, and a third of my love for Tori. I just love them. They're everything to me. I am so happy. I love my children. The thing is, God designed it that I'll always love my children more than they'll love me. It's a pretty sobering thing. Thought, my children will never love me as much as I love them. And God designed it that way because otherwise a child will never leave. God designed it that a child will leave his mother and father and be joined to another and they'll become one flesh. That's the design of God. And if you think about it now, you think way more about your children than you do your parents. It's not because you don't love your parents. It's not because you're a bad child. It's just the design and it's in the design. Do you know you're only a success as a parent if you make that completely dependent child independent of you. That they can be successful. That they can live their lives without you. So that's a, that's a very, very kind of sobering thought. I am successful... Because my children have learned to live successfully independent of me. Yes, they still need me. Yes, there's all the interactions of, of family and all of those different things. But they're able to live successfully on their own. And, you know, at some stage, I actually have to let go of my child. And these can be some of the toughest times. So let me build a foundation from that. Today I'm speaking about... Christian parenting. I think it's very vital to make that distinction. Christian parenting and worldly parenting are completely different. We actually come from different perspectives. Some of the things may see the same results, but we come from different perspectives. 
Right? So when we come from the worldly perspective of parenting, it's about a parent's kid mentality. What's best for the kids, what's best for the parents. This is not bad. It's not a bad thing. And I think it makes perfect sense to parent with the child's and family's welfare in mind. But it's foundationally different to Christian parenting. See, it's God who gives us the children. They're not actually our children. They're God's children. They're God-designed and God-purposed humans. God has a plan and a purpose for them. And their creator has made them uniquely different with individual talents for such a time as this. We looked at this family today, right? Three children, right? Same parents. So the DNA, all the, the biology is the same, right? Same values. The way they're going to bring up those kids are the same. Everything is the same. Same house, same different things. But those kids are going to be very different because God made them different. God gave them different strengths and different abilities, different biases, different weaknesses, different things that are in their life that make them themselves. There are things that are, are the same, you know, that, that come, you know, down the generations, but, but they are essentially different. So the goal of the Christian parenting isn't child family welfare, but to grow them into successful adults who fulfill God's destiny for their life. Obviously, their creator knows their purpose, knows why he created them, and so they will live their best lives by fulfilling the purpose of their creator. So our ultimate goal as Christian parents shouldn't be that they just have money or education or happy families or fame or a hundred other different things, but our goal as parents is that they grow up to be who God intended them to be. And so my foundational scripture, and which I base this all on, and to be honest, if you just get this right, everything else will kind of sort out for itself. It says, Proverbs 14, 26, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. See, your relationship with God is your greatest ally. See, it's in your time with God that God will give you the keys, the tips, the assurances. I remember one time I was really worried about one of my kids and I really felt God just say to me, don't you trust me with them? Let me tell you, it was a rebuke, but it was very encouraging at the same time. See, if your kids see a real relationship with God, example. They will, they will choose that way themselves. So much of your battle will actually be won. See, kids hate religion. Do it because I said. Do it because I said. They want to see it. Kids hate hypocrisy. They don't like duplicity. If you're one thing in one place and something else at home, they hate it and will always run. If the only place you're really a Christian is in church, your kids will run, they don't like it. You know, we're all hypocrites at some stage. No one's not a hypocrite in some area of their lives. But when kids see it as a lifestyle, they'll soon make their choices. So I like the pictures that scriptures portray around parenting. He who fears the Lord, this is our scripture for today, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress 
and for his children it will be a refuge. See, your relationship with God can be seen as a fortress for your kids. Over the years, they see, and see, it takes years. Not over one day, not over one incident, but over the years, they see that God has been your source, the one that you go to, the one that you talk about, the one that you value, the one that you example. They see that and they go, Mum and Dad, they had a secure fortress in their relationship with God. And they've seen that it's given you security. They've seen that that fortress has sheltered you. And when you go, and when they go through their storms, when they go through their struggles, they're going to run to the fortress that is your refuge. And that fortress now becomes their place of safety and their place of security. They form their own relationship with God and, and their way of dealing with life is to run to the refuge that is Jesus Christ because they've seen you exampled with it. It's a little bit like Proverbs 22 verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The picture of that scripture is that they would put some honey on the tongue of the child, and that would be sweet, and they would like that sweetness, so they would seek that sweetness. And it's as you show your relationship with God working, it's like putting honey on the tongue of a child. And so they go back to that because they see the sweetness of it. Now, I want to tell you, in that scripture, it's not actually that encouraging. Because what happens, it tells you about the start. It tells you about the end, but it doesn't tell you about the middle. And some of you are in that place right now where you've trained up your children the Bible's given you a promise that they're going to come right, but right now they're not walking right. And right now they are a great cause of concern. Understand, you've trained them. They're going to come back. They're going to come back. Now, there are three stages of parenting. And if you're unable to move through them, you're always going to be in trouble. You're going to have trouble. We can't parent the same way with different age children. So I call it the commander, the coach, and the consultant stages. So when our children are little, say 1 to 12, by the way, Jordan Peterson speaks very great thing around the fact of, of kids between 0 and 5, that you'll never get that back before they get to school. Right? Very, very important that you stay engaged. Very, very important that you're there during those times because they're the times when you have them completely. Once they go to school, they lose a bit of their innocence. Once they go to school, they realize. You know, when my daughter went to school, she went here and she wrote on her ruler, I love God, right? She was just smashed by her teachers, by her friends, because she wrote, I love God. She just had no idea that everyone didn't love God, right? It was just a, because we had her. And we're able to put in those foundational things. We're able to put that honey on her tongue so that she would have this sense of, God is good. I, I, I love the, the things of God. So when we're the commander, we tell them what to wear, what to eat, where to go, and they do what we say. If I were to change anything, it's probably in those really early days, I'd, I'd be a little bit more stricter than what I was. I think that, and I'll talk about discipline in just a moment, so uh, when I say that, but 
I just think it's very important to give them strong, safe boundaries. Things like reading, things like just eating, things, just all sorts of things. It will just help you so much more. So what we're doing at that stage is we're essentially bringing order to their disorder. See, when you get them home from the hospital, a routine is going to be set. Either they'll set that routine or you will set the routine. You are the parents. I suggest you set the routine. And it's, and, and it's around eat, sleep, and play patterns of living. We start setting order to their disorder. Just as when we came to Christ, our Father in heaven starts to set order to our disorder through the disciplines and, the, and making us disciples of Christ. He's setting order to our disordered life. So we set their boundaries. We teach them all manner of things. And those boundaries are there to keep them safe. For example, I, I teach them to listen to me. That when I ask something, I'm, I'm not looking for it on the fifth time. I want them to do it the first time. Because if I ask them not to run out into the road and they start running out in the road and I go stop and it takes me the fifth time before they stop, they're dead by then. So I have to make sure they're going to listen to me the first time. They're going to understand that I'm setting boundaries that are there for them to help. And it's a good place to talk about discipline. Proverbs 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Young kids don't have wisdom. They just act and feel their way through life. They have no boundaries. So as their commander, I bring disciplines that is going to help them. Now he uses the word rod of discipline, and we can get a big argument in this room right now about smacking. So I'm not going to say you should smack your kids, and I'm not going to say you shouldn't smack your kids. It's the discipline that's important. A child without boundaries or discipline is a child headed to destruction. And your role as a parent is actually to bring discipline, not to bring punishment. Punishment is like the law of the Old Testament. It tells you what's wrong, but it gives you no ability to deal with it. And all it does is leave you feeling resigned. And if all you do is punish your kids, it's like them feeling, you don't love me. You just want to punish me. You just want to dominate me. You just want to have power over me. You broke the law, now bang. You broke the rule, now bang. Punishment may make you feel better as a parent, but actually does nothing for the child. We're looking for discipline. Discipline is given with the child in mind. If it's about me, it's punishment. If it's about the child, it's discipline. That's the difference. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's how we bring discipline to our children. The word restore here is the discipline that we should show as parents. It's to help the person get better. It's to help the person be better. It actually gives a picture in the Scripture of the lamb that's had his leg broken and it's around the shepherd's heart and the shepherd binds that, that broken leg with a bandage. It's like putting a bandage on a broken arm or a cast on a broken arm. See, when we do that, 
we put a cast on a broken arm. We're not being mean to that child who's broken their arm, right? We're actually putting a cast there. We're bringing a restriction. We're bringing a measure of discipline, but that discipline is there to heal. That discipline isn't to just bring restriction. You're punished now and go put your arm in a sling. I'm going to put your arm in a cast so you can't move it. No, there was something that happened. Something was broken, so I put it in a cast, and now you can't move it for a while. There's a restriction. There's a, it's not as comfortable as it would be. You've got to put a plastic bag around your arm to have a shower, right? It's all horrible, especially if it's your kid, right? Because you have to do it all for them, right? So, and, and, but you're actually doing Imagine the doctor just said, just go home, play. Just play, right? It's amazing too that where that break was, where the healing comes, actually stronger. And when we apply discipline, because there was a lack of discipline, it always results in that child being stronger in that area. See, my heart is to bless the child, not to punish the child. My heart is for the future of the child, not just deal with something because I'm angry right now. If we do it like that, we just actually inflict further damages. So I think all discipline should pass through this gate. I'm wanting to help the child by applying discipline due to a lack of discipline. That's what I'm wanting to do. I'm trying to help the child. Now we would do some things, you know, like what happens? You set your rules and boundaries of your house and just through the process of time, those boundaries get stretched, right? Those boundaries Kind of like, you know, okay, it used to be first time and now it's fourth time and, and, and things just get changed and you kind of put up with it, but then you realize it's just getting too stretched. What we would do, and we would tell the kids, this next week is called Instant Obedience Week. We just tell them, okay, so it's not the third time, second time, first time. The moment that you break, do whatever it is that you know that you're doing, not if they don't know it, they're doing something they don't know is wrong. I'm not going to punish them for that. I'm going to teach them around that. But when they know they've done something wrong, right, there comes a consequence. And we would do that just for one week because we needed to bring the boundaries back again. And that's what will happen. The parenting is like, here, don't ever be so staunch. This is what it is. But just in and out, in and out. Let it ebb and flow so that you're bringing love and discipline into their child. When God disciplines us, Himself, who disciplines us, he always does it to make us better rather than hurt us. Listen to God's discipline. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those, the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. There's a sermon right there. I can do a sermon on that line. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. But what children are not disciplined by their father? They're not disciplined, and everyone goes undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and lives? They disciplined us a little as best they thought. By the way, with your own parents, they parented you the best way they could. Yeah, they probably made some mistakes. Yeah, they probably could have done some things better. Yeah, there was probably, even for some of you, places of abuse and different things. But the Bible tells us to honour our parents. 
And maybe they didn't have the skills and the abilities because of what they came up with to be able to parent you the way that they maybe could have or should have. They did what they thought was best. So let's cut them just a little slack and let's try and draw them in rather than push them away. Just a little tip there. All right, they disciplined as they thought, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. This is it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. All right, so if it's pleasant, it isn't working. All right, if I put Jack in a corner and said, okay, you're, uh, you know, you just go, he'll just play a game. He loves that. He needed a little love tap, all right? A little love tap on the, uh, the seat of assurance, right? So uh, he needed that. But if I did that to Rachel, she's just going to get mad. But if I put her alone, she would hate it. Right, so what is it that things? You take away their phone. You do this, you do that. Oh, we'll talk about phones in a minute. All right, so uh, they shouldn't have a phone at this stage especially. All right, so no discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. That's the goal of discipline. When you bring discipline, not to punish it's about their future. I want to produce a harvest of righteousness. I want to have a, a harvest of peace. I want to train myself, my children, in the ways of discipline. So discipline the right way in the commander stage is very, very important. The way the Israelites parented in the Old Testament gives us some insight of how to parent in the commander stage. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So we start off by making sure that they understand that it's God that's important. And you must love the Lord with God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly. Are you wholeheartedly serving the Lord or is it just part of your heart? To so these commands I'm giving you today. And it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're away on a journey. Talk about them when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I want to say, talk to your children about God, not in a teachy, preachy way, but just in a real life way. God did this to me today. I was reading the Word today. As you're just around the dinner table, just talk about the things of God. Talk about the things that God is speaking to you about. Let God be the topic of your conversation. Make kingdom principles just things of life. We forgive. Right? We love. If you wouldn't like that happening to you, why would you do that to your brother? If you wouldn't like that happening to you, why would you do that to your sister? We used to call it the Jesus rule. Jesus rule. You wouldn't like that happening to you. They know Jesus rule. I would have those different things. I started to talk to her about not having a life of saying just it's unfair, it's not fair, it's not fair, she got, he got, all these different things. I, I, we didn't have that in our home because I started to teach them that what even when life is unfair, there's a way through it. I'm going to build resilience in my children, not just victims in my children. Right? I started to do things of, 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 of the kingdom. 
forgiveness, love, all of those different things. We, 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 I'd lie next to them in bed. My, I, was, I won't say which one, but one of my children is just negative and would always talk about how things were so bad. I would just lie with them in their bed and I'd sit there and say, tell me something bad that happened today. And they would tell me their thing. And I'd say, tell me something that's good that happened today. And every night I sat there so that the last thing that he went... went that, that, I <laughs> when she went to sleep, all right? That, that they would just have a positive thought in their mind. I'm going to teach them to challenge those negative thoughts. And that doesn't happen in one night. That happened after night, after night, after night, after night. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to lie in their bed. I want to tell you, fathers and mothers, when your boys, they're not going to listen that way. They're going to listen this way. Find something to do with them. I'm getting now into the next stage, by the way. But, like, it's just, it's just important. Where have you gone on a trip? You know, we made sure in our, our, our trips that I didn't let the kids have headphones and earphones and all those different things. I, we were here as a family, so we're going to go to this place as a family. I didn't want one listening to that, another one listening to this, another one. And then what I'd tell them, they'd wanted to listen to music. wasn't that keen on that. And I'd tell them, if I hear one swear word or if I hear one sexually suggestive thing, we're going to turn on to talk back, right? And so we'd be there and all of a sudden the kids would be going, oh, change the channel, change the channel, right? Because they knew that a, a, a naughty thing was coming, right? So, uh, you know, when you're sitting down having a meal, you know, there's great stats on the benefit of sitting down together as a family. And there's are going to be different uh, needs of your children in their eating. But if you're going to be cooking five different meals for five different people in your family, you're making a rod for your back. And I want to tell you at this commander stage, they'll eat what you put in front of them, right? They'll eat what you put in front of them. Teach them to eat properly early. You'll make, it just helps. Make your home a Christian one. Be smart. You know, I haven't written the Ten Commandments on the gate of my house. As you come in, these are the rules of our house. But my kids all know it because we've lived it, we've exampled it, we've talked about it, we've done all of those different things. You know, uh, Jesus himself, as a young man, knew that his parents were his commanders. He was submissive to his parents. When he was about 12, it says he, he, got, he went away from his family and they found him in the temple. He's going, well, I'm about my father's business, about his heavenly father's business. But he goes, I'm going to listen to you. At that stage, he was still under their command. And even though he was about his father's business, he listened to them. And so that was very cool. All right. So I would say to you, teach them self-control over ABC123. Right? Teach them how to control themselves and to to deal with real-life things. They've done studies that say that if your kid goes to school and can kind of, you know, do the alphabet and do basic reading and, and know one to ten, it's numbers, by grade six, they've reached where every other kid is, right? So they have an advantage in the early stage, but by grade six, it's equal. There's no benefit to the kids who knew how to read when they got to school to those who didn't. But they've done studies and they've done a thing, and you might have seen this on like a TikTok or an Instagram kind of thing, now you put a chocolate in front of a child and you say, look, what I'm going to do, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back in five minutes. Uh, don't eat the chocolate. And if you don't eat the chocolate, I'll give you two chocolates. Right? And they've worked out with those kids that actually uh, 
they worked out with those kids that actually uh, were able to have that self-control. And so they've actually done better in life because you do better in life by your adversity quotient, your ability to deal with adversity, not your IQ, EQ, your physical things. The people who do best in life are those who are able to deal with adversity. So teach your children how to deal with adversity. Now, I want to say, teach your kids ABC123 because it just makes them a little bit more confident at school. And so that's always just going to help them for their best. I'm not saying it's wrong to teach your kids ABC, but it's much better for them to have self-control than it is just to have some knowledge. Are you still with me? Please love me. All right. From 10 to so on, because what happens, we become a coach. After 10, 12 or whatever, maybe 8, whatever, it's all different, different kids. You're not the loudest voice in their life anymore. Their friends are. Their friends are their loudest voice. They don't listen to you as much. You don't mean as much to them as what they once did. Our kids are now becoming their own selves. So we need to change our parenting style. And they're going to slowly become the adults that they're going to be. Their friends are loud and, and, and they have the loudest impact in their lives. And that's why, as a parent, you need to monitor very, very directly the friends that they have and why youth group is so important. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, I can do all the right things at home. I can do everything and do it all right, only to have it undone by my kid's friend who's just a bad influence. Well, I'm not going to do that. I had this little rule that you're not going to go out with them if I haven't met them, and I've only met them if they've been to my house. So if you're not willing to bring them to my house, then like, why would I let you go out with them? Because there must be something you're wanting to hide there. right? And so because I just had the rule, it wasn't so you can't go out, can't have those friends, you can't be doing this. I go, I want to see who your friends are, mate. We didn't, I, I won't go there because other people do different things, but I just thought that, that was important. All right, so your kids are going to get mad with you. They're going to come to you at 15, tell you they love someone, right? And they're the one for them for certain that they just know, right? What, what's the point? of letting them have boyfriends and girlfriends and, and all of those things, and, and especially if they're unsaved boyfriends and girlfriends. I mean, just why? It's just, it's just foolishness. And, and sometimes they, the parents will say to me, well, they're going to see them anyway. Well, they might, but if you say no, you're going to at least know the majority of times. Like when your kids are 15, 16, you pretty much know where they are 100% of the time. right? And if you're just letting them sleep over, you know, some kid's friend's house all the time and you don't really know what they're doing, well, then that's, that's just not wise. I don't want to say there's bad parents. I just want to say it's just not wise parenting. You know, we sometimes we have to be our children's friends. You know, my kid can hate me for two weeks. I don't care, right? I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do my job and be their parent. I'm not their friend. I'm their dad. I'm their parent. I have responsibility for them. So I don't care if they hate me. They get over it. Kids change friends every five minutes anyway, especially girls. Right? They're also tribal. Right? Why let your kid have a boyfriend or girlfriend at some early stage? Where's it going to go? It's not going to go anywhere good. They're not going to get married at 16, are they? Right? So it's not going to go anywhere good. Don't lose the battle of the youth group. Are they going to come and tell you youth group's boring? Girlfriend, don't I've got no friends there. I hate it. I don't like it. They're, let me tell you. They don't come back. Kids who start going, when they turn 18, they don't come back to church. 
I just used to say, my, my, my daughter said, Dad, you let us do all these things, but you never, ever, you will never, ever relent on us going to youth group. All my friends' parents, they said they didn't have to go to youth group. They didn't have to do this. And, I go, and, then, and she goes, but now I understand why. That none of them are going to church anymore. None of them are going anywhere near church, doing all sorts of crazy things. And, um, you know, my daughter, who's, you know, strong and, and always is still in church. They're still doing a church, and I just love that. See, being a coach tells them that you give them a game plan, but it's them who have to live you out. Malcolm Blight was a great AFL coach, and he had one guy in his uh, team, and the guy would always handball. If you don't know AFL, it's where you knock the ball with your hand. Obviously, he's not going to go as far as a kick. And so what he would do is always handball, and Malcolm Blight got sick of that. And he goes, you're not going to be the faller. His name was Troy Bond. You're not going to be the footballer that you could be by handballing all the time. And so what he said, he goes, if you handball the ball, I don't care if you give away a free, I don't care what you're going to do, I am going to pull you off the ground if you handball. So it taught him how to actually kick the ball, which is going to make it go forward. It's all called football. It's not called handball, right? So he kicked the ball, right? So he did that and he made him a great player who actually was instrumental in the Crows winning the 1987 Grand Final. It was a great day, right? It was a great day. Still the, one of the best days of my life, right? So long ago, right? But uh, um, Crows lost yesterday. So, but did I get distracted? Right? That's what it is. There are times you put restrictions on them because you're teaching that there's more to life than this particular situation. You are going to study. You aren't going to go out till all hours of the night. You are going to be doing these things. There is a, a measure to you. you are going to, that's what we're doing. We're teaching them life skills. We're teaching them how to do things. I teach them then how to push through, how to live with integrity, how to handle setbacks, to build resent, resilience, to treat people right, to live as a Christian, to find the right partner, to make right decisions, and how to love and forgive. But it's constant trial and error. Give them islands of confidence. All your kids will have something that they're a little bit better at than someone else. Invest money in that area because that will make them confident in other areas of their life. You know, find out what they like and do that. Don't let them isolate themselves. Don't let them isolate themselves. Don't let them be in their room. Don't have phones in the room, televisions in the room, computers in the room. They're all in the public areas of the house. And then find out what they like. My ones, with my daughter... God, she loved Gogglebox, which I hated, and she loved The Bachelor, which I hated, right? And then, like, I just, God says, watch The Bachelor with her. I'd rather put acid in my eyes. It's just horrible. It's just, it's just a stupid show, right? And then on the day when it happened, it's like there was a real big footy story that I wanted to watch, and, and she didn't come in, but she knew. And then I said, honey, I said I'd watch The Bachelor with you. And let me tell you, we watched that stupid thing, right, for like 12 weeks or whatever long it was. But how many conversations I had about dating? How many conversations about how we should treat people? How many conversations about how a man should treat a woman? And all these different things. You know, my daughter just wrote, uh, when I turned 60, right, she wrote 60 things I love about you. And one of them, thank you that I don't have daddy issues, right? It's because I stood with her and watched Gogglebox and... And then that. So pick your battles. Some stuff just isn't worth fighting about. And make sure you're training them through discipline, not trying to just be a commander. You need to coach them. If you can't coach them through this part of their life, you will use them. 
Jesus went through the coach days. And Jesus, Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, favor with God and for man. I want to say that controlling the internet at this stage is vital. It's crucial. You have to control their internet. I would say, even though horrible for you, we charge our phones in the kitchen. This is a charging station. Mum, dad, daughter, son, everyone, we charge our phones here when we go to bed. I'm not taking this tool of pornography and all these other crazy things that happen through the internet into my bedroom alone. They might as well be at Fortitude Valley at three in the morning. You wouldn't let them go there at three in the morning. Yet letting them take their phone in their bedroom is literally no different. I want us to watch this little video that Mark Cooper, one of our guys, has put together to just help you how to deal with some things of dealing with young kids and, and, and the internet. G'day church, Mark here. And Pastor Mark has asked me to give you a quick five minute synopsis on how to protect yourself and your families online. Let's get straight to it. First thing, consider technology as both good, but also there's negative implications. So uh, some of the ways that technology can be negative for us and our families is through physical harm. Yes, it's a digital world, but bullying can then come from the digital world and lead to suicide and increased self-harm in our society. If you haven't seen it yet, check out The Social Dilemma. It's on uh, Netflix, and if your kids are looking going on social media, watch it with them. It shows you that the self-harm rate went up 151% for 10 to 14-year-olds in the 10 years following 2009, uh, but also the suicide rate went up. And that's an important year because in 2009, that's when social media had gained the most traction and prevalence in mainstream society. Uh, the second way you have to protect yourself is financially. So if you go onto the ACCC Scamwatch page, you'll find that in 2019 alone, there was $851 million in reported losses. Now, there'll be more that are unreported through romance scams, for instance, uh, but it is a huge implication affecting everyone over 25 because there's equal representation. Interestingly enough, children came at 1.4% of losses in that group. The third way you should protect yourself is spiritually. And if we check out Philippians 4.8, it talks about um, only looking at things that are pure and righteous. So if we consider um, the impact of pornography, in the UK, data shows children aged 11 to 16, 48% of them access pornography through devices, 34% access it weekly, and amazingly, 19% access it daily. So um, you can see there's a massive impact there, not just for the individual with regards to uh, their perception of what is love, but it will impact their future relationships and also open to things that aren't necessarily righteous or Christian with regards to relationships. Extremism content is also being seen um, quite prevalently through youth in Australia, with the Australian government showing that 33% of kids have seen extremism terrorist videos online. Also, fake news is huge, and data shows too that people who absorb fake news, there's quite a lot of people in society that once they absorb it, they can't let it go. So it's important that we don't see information or we don't allow our kids to access information that is not good for them. So how do we protect our kids online? And for me, the first step is to check out the Australian Government eSafety Commissioner website, which is esafety.gov.au. On here, there's information targeting kids, uh, parents, teachers, and also minority groups. So for kids, there's videos, there's cool graphics, and it just outlines the risks and how to protect themselves online. If you're a parent and your kids are accessing technology with gaming apps or websites, there's also a list of these and it tells you uh, what it is and how uh, is it appropriate for their age bracket. So we don't necessarily have to understand what everything is, but we can use this as a resource guide. 
Uh, also check out the Australian uh, ACCC scan watch site. It lists all the different types of scans out there so you can be aware of what is out there and educate yourselves on ways to protect yourself. Um, the second step, the uh, second step I would recommend to protect yourself online is to actually implement boundaries. Now, if you don't think you need this, well, I would put the question to you, would you allow your child to walk Fortitude Valley at midnight on a Saturday night? And for me, the answer is no. So being online with a device, you're actually opening yourself up to worse things than that. So in our house, for instance, our kids are under eight. At the moment, we're restricting access to technology during school week. And we've found by not letting kids watch TV, their behavior has improved, but they're also getting outside and engaging in imaginative play a lot more. For me as well, limiting use of devices with our families in communal areas of the house is huge because you can see what they're looking at and it also is a barrier to prevent them looking at things that they should not. If you have an issue yourself with pornography, you can then uh, take your devices out into these communal areas and it'll take away that urge to look at it. Another way we protect ourselves with boundaries is through Wi-Fi scheduling. Some modems will allow this where you can say, turn off Wi-Fi say at 8.30, turn back on at 6 a.m. Remember, nothing good happens at 2 a.m. So why do you need Wi-Fi on then? The last way we can also protect ourselves is through content filtering. If your modem has this option you turn on, it may block certain malicious websites as well as pornography and enable safe search only for Google and YouTube. Check it out, give it a try, it may be good for you. Lastly, I'd recommend checking out the big software websites. So Microsoft has a family safety page, Google has their Google safety page, and also Apple has their Apple families. And in there, it'll tell you about different features and apps that are already in the devices or that you can download to devices to protect your kids and to protect yourselves online. So in five minutes, we've covered a lot of information. It's hard to cover it all, but I've actually created a blog for this. So scan that QR code that's on the screen. Uh, if you're not into QR codes, check out aspireqld.org.au. Click on the technology page and there will be the blog right there. There's a lot of information there. We'll make sure that it goes on our website, immersechurch.life, but access that stuff because it will just actually help you. I'd also say to you, if your kid is... Uh, not going to drive a car till he's 16, do they actually need a phone? It's a bit controversial. Do they actually need a phone until they're 16? Right? Are they really at places where you don't know or you can't contact someone? Maybe if, if you're that concerned, maybe you can have a family phone that when they go out, they can do. So it's, a, it's, it's something that, you know, like they, they, they'll tell you every kid at school's got it. They'll tell you all the different things, but in the end, you're their parent. You're not their friend. You're trying to help them out. Do they really need a phone before they're 16? And all the kids are hating me right now. Okay, I've just noticed it's quite late. So uh, I'm going to finish quickly. Maybe the band could come up. We come to the consultant stage. And there's really not a lot to say here other than consultants are invited in. They don't just come in, they're invited in. So what happens is our children are now living lives separate from us. I am now a consultant to Jack. I'm not his commander, I'm not his coach, I'm his consultant. And if I've done my parenting right, he's going to come to me, and he's going to talk to me, he's going to ask me questions, he's going to come and do things. And, and, and because I've been a good person in his life, they're, they're living successfully after. And we, we have to let them leave and cleave. They are going to leave you and they're going to cleave. I remember seeing Jack do his wedding dance with uh, Tiana. And I loved his wedding. His wedding was great. But in that dance, I wasn't happy at all. 
I just saw that my son loved Tiana way more than he loved me. Right? That, that she was now what he was about. I, I saw the love in that wedding dance and, and even though I was happy for him, I, I was kind of like ticked as well. I was like, oh. and, and But that's what it is. He's got to do that. He has to do that. I can't come in between him and Tiana. If there's issues, he'll come and talk to me. He'll invite me into his life. I can't interfere. They may do something. They recently, I go, what are you doing that for? Why would you, that's a dumb decision. Well, who cares? It's their decision. It's not for me. I don't know what it's going to be like walking my two daughters down the line to their boyfriends and their girl, to when they get married. I don't know. I'd, I'd, that's actually going to be the slowest wedding walk in the history. I might start the walk from my house to here. I was just like, you sure, honey? You sure? You really want to do this? If you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. No, I won't be, no, no, I won't be doing that. I would have, I would have scuttled it way before anybody like. No, but uh, uh, <laughs> you know, kids are going to hurt us. They are going to hurt you. Some of the pains, and I know, and I'm talking with different people, and over the years, just your kids hurt you. There's pains that are there. They're going to make bad choices, and sometimes they're going to be scarred by those choices. They're going to carry a limp. They're going to carry some damage because of a choice that they made. But it's them that are living their lives. And like we're a consultant, we can only come in when we're asked. You know, parent, there's going to be times of rejection. You know, Mary says, I would come to Jesus. And and Jesus, who am I? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? There's going to be rejection at times as they're busy about going the life that God has called them to be. But that means you've been successful because they're actually doing life without you successfully. You know, some of the best times of our lives are going to be with our kids. Some of the worst times of our lives are going to be with our kids. You know, some of the best times that I had with my children, when was I was at my worst? When I acted childishly, when I acted in anger, when I acted out of just madness or insecurity myself, I've acted out of that. And then I've had to go to him and say, I'm sorry, Dad got it wrong. He shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way. I was selfish there. I wasn't thinking about you. I was just thinking about me. And when I come to my children like that, and I say, sorry, how can we do better? What am I going to do the next time you do this? Because the action may have been bad that caused my reaction but my reaction was still wrong. But I still have to deal with that action. So what are we going to do next time? And so out of the worst times of my parenting came some of the greatest solutions and some of the best things of love and and, and of how it is. That's how it works. That's how it works. This morning I want to pray for every parent in this place. Commander, coach, consultant.